0: Hello everyone and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the privilege of speaking with Helen Upperton. Helen was a world-class bobsleigh pilot who won the silver medal in women's two-man bobsleigh at the Vancouver Winter Olympic Games competing for Team Canada. But far more importantly, Helen is an accomplished human being who never stops challenging herself to be better. She believes in herself and believes in the possibilities. Her career and her life are evidence of her tenacity. She is also just a year into being a new mom. The reason I've asked Helen to leave, on to leave you, Mark, is that Helen is all that epitomizes success from a life of hard work and discipline. Good family, good friends, and good times. Her attitude towards her craft and her loyalty to those who have influenced her is remarkable, and her story is one that should be heard. Welcome, Helen.
1: Thanks, Scotty. What a great intro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You heard it already because we're re-recording because we had a little bit of an audio problem, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. So a little uh, softball question, which you've already heard, but we'll go through it again, is uh, you were born in Kuwait to British parents. What is your favorite British staple food?
1: (laughs) So we went to England uh, last September. I took my daughter to meet her great-grandmother's on a constant hunt for scones, clotted cream, and jam. So that sort of is what I... um, you know, have cravings for it. But my favorite all the time, sort of since I've been younger is a Plowman's lunch.
0: Have you ever had this? Oh, yeah. Plowman's lunch. Yes, yes, yes. Very nice.
1: Don't know what it is. Google it. It's delicious.
0: Well, I lived there when I was a little boy. And my favorite thing um, is the ice cream cone with the chocolate flake bar in it that I used to get. uh, We used to go for a walk in Hampstead Heath. And uh, in the Heath, there would be these guys who would be selling ice cream all the time and it was fantastic (laughs) (laughs) i had a few memories if there was these things called caramac bars that i like too as well but you could probably talk about uh, british food all the time it's a very unique kind of food that's for sure and i had my guinness when i was over there so (laughs) um you grew up uh, and, you know, I've met your parents, uh, but you had um, really wonderful parents and you've had a wonderful relationship with your parents and they've meant a lot to you. And know your dad, especially uh, with your sporting life and stuff. Uh, so maybe just tell me a little bit of about both mom and dad and how they influenced you as a person as you grew up.
1: Well, oh, how do you even start talking about your parents? Um, I feel like my dad is part of the reason why, uh, you know, I'm a successful, motivated person, um, and my older sister and younger sister too, um, have this sort of drive to be really great at what we're doing. And I think it's because our father uh, is this guy who I think our whole lives we viewed as being Pretty exceptional in everything he does. Like, even recently, he retired when he was quite young, in his early 50s. He had a really good career in oil and gas. He worked very hard. And from what I know uh, through people I've met, is that his reputation in the industry was the, that he was a great boss and a very kind person, which actually meant more to me being his daughter, hearing that from other people. Um, he is obsessed with sports, uh, and very adventurous. Like he picked us all up and moved our family when we were very young across the ocean to Canada, leaving all of family and life behind in the UK and, uh, took a job. And my mom too, being brave enough to say like, okay, she told me we were, um, I was under Under the age of three, I'm only 18 months younger than my older sister, so she's got two kids under the age of five. Comes, I think they moved in February to Calgary.
0: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) They were
1: in a hotel when they first moved, and my dad was busy with work, and my mom just had to figure it out. And uh, I find both my parents incredibly courageous and brave, and family is everything to them. So, uh, you know, growing up, we weren't really spoiled it all we weren't you know we never had a car my dad used to be like if you want to get somewhere to catch the bus the bus stops down the street <laughs> and uh they invested their time and energy in like camping trips and hiking in the mountains and family travel uh vacations and we we went all over the world and um my dad was always fascinated with travel and um in university he sort of like funded his own school ski club and they all like used to go skiing around europe and stuff so Yeah, I feel very fortunate. My parents um, really set a great foundation for our family. I'm super close with both my sisters. I'm the middle of three. And uh, yeah, just loving, warm, kind, and uh, family-oriented parents that are very active, both of them still, and um, very adventurous. And I think it laid the groundwork for what became some pretty, pretty adventurous and successful adult children. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's awesome. You're in the middle of three and you're, what did, you know, what did your sisters mean to you as you grew up? Were they were, was your older sister tough on you or were, did, was it a kind of a relationship where you guys fed off one another or, or got in each other's grill or what was, what was life like was three sisters?
1: Oh, uh, well, all three of us are so different. Um, my older sister is like the epitome of an overachiever. And I think it's because she's the oldest trying to somehow impress my dad over the years, probably we joke about that too, though, even now, like, you know, uh, if we do something wrong or we spend too much money on something or we make a mistake, we're like, Oh, dad's going to be so disappointed. I'm like, I'm almost 40. How do
0: I, um,
1: that's what I mean. He set the bars so high. So my older sister, like, she graduated from university with double honors. And I was two years behind her in school. And I can remember in high school, especially, I'd show up at classes. And people would say, oh, you're an Upperton. You're Louise's sister. It's going to be great <laughs> teaching you. And I it was like, you don't even know what you're in for. I couldn't sit still in my seat. And I, you know, was always getting into trouble. Like, not bad trouble. You know what I mean? Good trouble. Like, mm-hmm yeah too hyperactive and short attention span and um i got good grades too but i never really studied very hard and didn't take school very seriously something i regret to this day but um i think all of us were really big into sports but m- me probably the most um but my older sister set the bar pretty high like immaculate note taking and good grades and all the teachers loved her so i had to follow her pretty closely And then my little sister is five years younger than me. So there's a bit of a gap there. And I think it was probably the toughest on her because she's got like a high achieving eldest sister and then a really successful middle sister in sport. And my sister is an incredibly talented athlete too, uh, a swimmer. Um, She was better in the pool than us when she was very small and we were good athletes. So Um, she just never had the desire to practice. She didn't like, she liked the social aspect of it more I I was thinking about my sisters too, and that we've, Louise has invested all of her energy and time in a successful career. And I invested all my energy and time in, in sport. And my little sister sort of took all that energy into family and friends and the people she loved. So we were a good balance. And now that we're older, we're very close, um, all three of us. And, and I think as we've gotten older, um, the relationship um, stayed very close but i think our parents obviously made sure that we knew how important that was i feel lucky that my sisters are also my best friends
0: that's awesome that's wonderful to hear your um dad's at the bar hi do you you know it's an interesting thing and i wonder what your opinion is of it but you know sometimes when uh when a parent uh, establishes that kind of um bar so to speak there's either you can either sort of raise your own bar or you can feel like you never can meet that bar you know um where did you sit within that the scope of that in a sense was it was it that it just challenged you to be better all the time or did you feel like you weren't making it the where you needed to
1: i guess i have two kind of comments to that question because it is really interesting not very long ago um, my sister was talking about changing careers again and she, my older sister and my dad had made a comment like, oh, nothing's ever good enough for Louise. And I remember thinking, it's kind of your fault, dad, you know? Um, and that's to your point about the bar being so high that you never feel like you get to that point where you're like, this was good enough. I'm not sure I have, I think there's been times where I felt satisfied, but it's been temporary. So I'm, I don't think I'm quite this, the same intensity level as my older sister, but I, I have a bit of an un, Insatiable drive to achieve something that I'm not sure what it is, mm-hmm. and uh, the other thing about that is when I was younger, quite young, like junior high or high school, I was playing soccer pretty high level, like provincial and training with the junior national team. And my dad had coached me a lot, and I remember at one point he pulled me aside because I think I was an infuriating athlete to coach, despite. Daughter, and he said, Why are you scared to give a hundred percent? Are you worried that you're gonna fail? Because I think I was seen as like a pretty talented athlete, but I never focused at practice and I never gave it everything that I had. I was always the one, like, kind of not paying attention and fooling around and distracting the other kids on the team and stuff. And uh, I remember being like, What do you know, dad? and then you get older and you learn all these lessons in life and you look back and you're like, Oh, he was so right. But as a kid, you don't know any different. And I had, I was lucky to have great experiences that taught me those lessons as I got older. Um, but he was always trying to push us, but never in a, in, in a hard way. I never felt pushed. I never felt pushed into doing sports or doing anything. Um, it was always our choice. Our parents were incredibly encouraging and supporting and they, they never made us feel like we disappointed them. If we ever failed at anything with the exception of academics, it was always a priority. If we didn't study hard enough for tests and got bad grades, we were in trouble, big trouble. Um, but everything else, our hobbies, our interests, um, we, it was really up to us and they did everything they could. My poor mom, cause my dad worked so much. My mom, just like three girls in so many different activities and sports. And like Louise was editor of the school paper and doing two different sports. And I did like a whole bunch of sports and Jenny was doing sports. And I don't even know how my mom managed,
0: but they did. Do you have a, um, more learned perspective on your mom now that you are a mom? <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, nothing changes your view of parents than becoming a parent, you know. I already had a, a a ton of love and respect for my mom and dad, but um I've taken partly because of my own uh choosing, but also the circumstances of this past year, our daughter's taken a lot of trips. You know, we've gone to the UK to visit the family. We took her to Korea to cheer on her dad at the Olympics. Um, just lo- and to Toronto for different stuff. I was working with CBC and all these flights I took and stressful and being a mom, new mom is stressful. And I did a lot of it this winter alone because um, Jesse Lumsden, my, my partner, he wasn't around because he was busy competing. And um, my mom used to do that with three girls all under the age of seven. Traveling like across seas and stuff. My dad would come meet us later. And so, yeah, I just, wow, mom, like how, (laughs) how did you do this? So yeah, a huge amount of respect. And I think, well, you, you know, this too. You think, you know, like what your heart has a capacity for until you have a kid, (laughs) you know? And then you're like, oh, this is like that love that people talk about that they you like, you don't know what to do with. It's too big. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's amazing. We'll circle back to you being a mom because that's going to be a fascinating part of this conversation. But I want to swing back uh, just a little bit to you. Obviously, you played a lot of sports growing up and, uh, you know, had an affinity for lots of different things, uh, sort of salt and peppered what you did. Do you feel that that contributed a lot to your to your success as an Olympic athlete that you played a lot of different sports when you were younger?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Bobsleigh wound up being a perc- perfect fit because of the career, uh, all the different sports I played as a kid. And you read all the stuff now about uh, kids specializing too young. And um, it's a shame that the sports they were all multi-sport athletes um, because it makes you more of a weird niche, right? It's sort of like individual, but it's not at all. And you have to be able to manage like politics and team dynamics and switching brakemen all the time. And I think playing soccer all those years and being part of a team played a a huge role in my ability to be a good teammate Um, and also make you a well-rounded athlete in general. Um, And so, I I mean, as a kid, I even did luge. And I think for those few years that I did luge, it teaches you uh, an ability to like read ice and understand the physics of sliding. So when I started driving, I was pulled. But uh, fast forward to 22 and me getting back on the track, which is such a random coincidence, uh, the the way your life winds up in the end. But um, yeah, it was just, I think it totally helped make me a a well-rounded person and a well-rounded athlete.
0: So you're down in, in uh, Texas, I believe, and you are doing track and you're sort of a marginal track athlete, as you self-describe. <clears throat> and then you sort of, uh, all of a sudden, going back to Canada, you get recruited to this crazy sport of bobsleigh. I guess, you know, I didn't know that you did luge when you were younger, but did, so you s- sort of knew what bobsleigh was. You knew what you were getting into, in a sense, and and what what pert your interest in, in actually trying this? Cause it's not a sport that all kids kind of connect with when they're kids to a degree, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, I got, I, I ended up in track and field because I was getting frustrated with the politics of soccer and uh, track and field was this event in my mind that was like you and the track and the numbers didn't lie. And either you performed or you underperformed or you made the team or you didn't make the team. And it was kind of straightforward. I mean you learn that there's politics in all sport it doesn't matter uh, <laughs> if it's individual or team based but uh, I guess there's a few comments to that like one is I grew up for the most part in Calgary it's an olympic legacy city and because of that I had access to these crazy venues and we had done this just random, like night at COP for my dad's company. And I had tried luge just with him for fun. Cause my mom and my sisters were like, we're not going to do any of that s- crazy stuff. And, uh, these Alberta provincial kids were running the luge, the tri luge program. And they were like, you should join the luge team. And my dad's like, Oh, here we go. So, uh, of course they supported me doing it and I raced for a bit. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, I never expected to slide again, ever, when I stopped doing luge. They wanted me to enter like a sports school and do luge full time and specialize in a sport too early, just like we were talking about. And uh, I was playing soccer and doing all this other stuff. We lived on the other side of the city, and so I ended up quitting. I said, Yeah, I don't almost all of them um, when I was like 13 years old. So it's like, I'm not sure luge is the best choice for my life. <laughs> <laughs> So I I invested all my time in soccer and soccer, my whole sport career as a kid growing up until the end of high school, I was a good athlete. I was never like the best, but I was good. So you're like a big fish in a small pond. And then I wind up on the NCAA and I'm I'm not good. You know, I had all these times where the coach was like, Are you sure I really do want to be on this team? I'm surrounded by all these incredible women. There's great coaches. The facilities are mind blowing in Austin, Texas. And I was like, no, I don't care if I'm I'm not the best, you know, a a, a small fish in a big pond. And I think it it led a lot to...
0: You mentioned politics and soccer what was it about the politics it's like so you know who's who's who and who's connected to who and they get the opportunity to be on the team that kind of stuff that gets really ugly at times so um you you really got frustrated with the politics in in a sport like soccer and and decided to you know get out of of playing that and get into more of an independent sport and you found yourself going into a sport like bobsleigh which from from all intensive perspectives since i look back became a very political sport so um you know when you reflect back uh, you mentioned that there's politics in every sport i mean really how how do you how do you transcend that or think about that now that you're out of sport you know what what kind of what are your feelings about that now
1: yeah, I, I have to agree with you that bobsleigh was like politically the most complicated, uh, just the dynamics of the whole thing in general. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, it goes back to my point about doing all of these different sports and getting all, all of these lessons over the course of my life. I think it helped me uh, be better equipped to handle it. But I I don't think I was necessarily very good at managing the politics. I'm a little bit too... Uh, go against the grain, uh, say what I think. Um, so I, I don't think it was ever, you know, my my strong suit, but it is something I had better at. And I guess that's the whole point about the sports, really. And I think managing politics and team and your own expectations and disappointment, I guess that's how I feel about, you know, the politics of, of sport. You can't avoid it. You can only learn how to cope.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting listening to you talk about yourself a little bit because uh, one of the things that I do in my podcast is I discovered a book a few years ago. I think I actually talked to you about it um, at one point with my my purpose and my favorite saying, which is some men see things as they are and say why i dream things that never were and say why not. And in this book, I found this saying and it was connected to my purpose and everything. So I read everybody's purpose. It's a bit of a, a mix of astrology and numerology. So. You are a Scorpio 4, and um, as a Scorpio 4, your purpose is to learn, to use your strong sense of individualism, to unite rather than to keep you isolated and alone. Change your thoughts and you change your world, Norman Vincent Peale. The Scorpio 4 loves tension, change, and crisis. You have a strong need for excitement and desire for unity. They are catalysts in the lives of others, and their own world goes through many changes. They take things to the limit, and then miraculously, a new point of view is achieved. Danger is an attractive When I read this, actually, it read quite um, quite significantly, like you, which was kind of interesting. The, the whole idea of uh, loving tension and change and crisis and, and strong need for excitement and desire.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Um, I actually, yeah, I, I miss some of it cause the connection is so bad. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've heard some of the other ones that you've done with uh, some of the other athletes and it's always funny because the reaction seems to be, oh yeah, that, that does describe me. I feel like, I don't know about the crisis part of it, but I guess, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, the whole statement as a whole, it, it is kind of like me, I've always really not resented it's the wrong word like being told what to do and like there's a way of doing things I've always felt like says who Mm -hmm. you know always been the question and I think Day was such a great platform for me to to be able to ask that question it's a very old-fashioned sport you know
0: well, it's funny, the crisis piece, the thing I found interesting about that is that I found that, you know, knowing you as an athlete, you always sort of rose to the occasion in times of crisis. It's almost as though, not that you sought it out, but that it was a fuel for your fire in some sense, rather than just the sort of mundane, same old, same old, you you sort of like to have things uh, a little bit interesting uh, to some degree in, in life versus just kind of bo- boring as one would call it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that is always something like uh, that I've no uh, kind of recognized myself is my even as a kid when I talk about you know the issues I had or that I could never sit still or I was bored really easily uh, and it you know obviously that personality trait doesn't just vanish even as you get older. So,
0: mm-hmm. tell me about the mindset of being a pilot and a you know in bobsleigh because it's a it's. An interesting sport. I mean, you've got speed, you've got the ability to steer and control your you somebody else's life is in your hands. In some sense, you're managing a lot of different things. Um, there's a tension of the moment uh, it takes. It's not something simple to be a, a bobsleigh pilot. So, you know, what is your mindset and why do you think you you had a strength in doing that?
1: So I think to be a successful bobsleigh pilot and what I've sort of recognized also through coaching a little bit is that the really great bobsleigh pilots have this underlying inherent confidence about them. There's something there because there have been some brilliant, talented athletes that were brakemen that tried driving. And they couldn't handle the, pr- the stress or the pressure of being responsible for the person behind them because it's inevitable. We're going to crash. We're going to wreck our equipment and we're probably going to hurt the, the person behind us. I, I did this to far too many lovely women. <laughs> yes. um, and I think you have to have this ability to like know that they made a choice to go behind you and they are aware of the risks and that they know that you are taking your job and responsibility so seriously that, uh, you're going to do your best for them, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think, uh, I think all the pilots that I know that have really uh, achieved the highest level of success and had the most talent have an ability to maybe like compartmentalize the, the responsibility of having people behind you
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: Other than that, there's a wide variety of personalities. There's some very calm, cool, collected, easygoing people, some super intense uh, attention to detail uh, people, um, some really nice, friendly, team-oriented people, and some uh, i do not care about the team let us just win the medals type people. So I I really think the common thread in um, successful piloting is is this uh, very strong inherent confidence in your ability to learn from your mistakes to navigate something at high speed successfully and to uh, know that the people behind you um, trust you and that you're doing your best for them.
0: What did the sport um, contribute to you in your personal growth? What, what changed in you from beginning to end of being in that sport in your opinion? I,
1: well, I think it changes you immensely. I mean, I learned so many lessons one especially, I think appreciation and gratitude it's a team sport It's very complicated and I mean we can get more into detail about that, but uh you know with the constant changing of brakemen and there's sort of it's very hard to have loyalty in the sport and and then the amount of people when you're a high performance amateur athlete, you have this dream that has developed you know over the course of your life. And all of these people's jobs and careers are are about you helping chase your dream. Like, it's such a crazy concept to me. I mean, I had, you know, you were one of the, the incredible people I was so fortunate enough to work with over the years. And, like, I learned so much from my team. And when I say team, I don't mean, like, the person behind me in the sled. I mean, like, the sponsors, the coaches, the sports the sites, the you know, doctors, there were so many people. And so I think uh, that's one thing is like appreciation and gratitude, because as an athlete, you choose a very selfish path. You have to be very internally focused about your body, your health, your goals, your dreams, your training, your, it's all about you. And man, my family put up with so much And it takes a while after you stopping to realize like, man, my family (laughs) put up with a lot of me just being like me, 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 me. There's not really a way to do it without being selfish to find success. So to some degree you have to, I think self-awareness is a huge part of being an athlete. Um, You know, in in life and in careers, we we all have these goals we want to achieve or be successful to whatever, you know, degree or definition that means to you. But in sport, your, your dream, you wear it on your shoulder. Everybody knows what it is. I want to win an Olympic medal, let's say. So everybody knows what you're trying to achieve. It's public. So if you fail on that goal, everybody knows you failed. And you're measured publicly against all these other incredibly talented people. And you have to be very brave to follow that path and you have to have very thick skin. And I think that's why we come across, I know so many athletes, uh, you know, Team Canada and, you know, that represent other countries. I find a lot of them very remarkable because I think you need to be a certain type of person to have the courage to even do that and then get out of it on the other end in, you know, I want to say in one piece, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, A fairly normal functioning part of society.
0: So yeah. well, it's funny. Uh, Dom Gauthier once had an interesting analogy for me for what it's like to be an Olympic athlete. And he said, Imagine a bunch of people going to med school and standing in the, and you've got 100 people in the class on day one, and the doc, and the guy coming up the front, the professor says, Okay, only one of you is going to graduate med school and be, become a doctor. You know, would you stay in the classroom on day one? You know, and that's essentially what happens to you guys, is you, you, only one of you gets to, gets to do it or really three it's uh, to a degree but uh, only one in, on your own national team so it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to to stand up and do for sure
1: you have to redefine all the time like what success means i think for me i look back on bob and the fact that i stayed friends with so many of the athletes on the team that is success in a sport where that's not actually that common Uh, That's one, I think now that I'm a bit removed, I can look back and say like, I was obviously a good person while pursuing my goals. That's, I think something to be proud of, but um, I didn't win a medal at world championships. I always wanted to, I tried so hard. I had, I can't even count the number of fourth place and fifth place finishes. I wanted to be an Olympic champion, never did it. And even uh, Jesse, you know, seeing him walk away from his third games without a medal, I think he's an exceptional athlete. He's had a CFL career. Uh, he, you know, he was a heck Crichton trophy winner in college. And he went to three Olympics after a successful CFL career. And he doesn't, I think he struggles with viewing his career as successful. His mm-hmm. careers in sport as successful. Mm-hmm. Which on the outside looking in, you're like, that's nuts. But people probably think the same thing about me, that I fell short on my goals because I didn't accomplish them. And that's the crazy thing about sport. It's just never ending, right? There's always something else.
0: (laughs) Well, to, to that point, I think, you know, uh, what's interesting is that, um, is that reflection on goals and on 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 achieving things? I have this conversation with people sometimes about the concept of being so goal focused and not process oriented. You know, if you're if you're really connected to the process of what you're going through and how you're learning and who you are becoming as a person and and enjoying that process, then whatever happens at the end of the process, whether you win the medal or you don't win the medal, the, the way the way you've grown as a human being is really a a huge part of that. And I think, you know, when I look at you, I I feel like having seen you through your career, you're somebody who's taken the lessons in life and explored yourself through the process and sort of, even though maybe didn't achieve the things you wanted to achieve. uh, I I don't think that other people from outside looking in would necessarily think that, but certainly you're going to be probably more critical um, than the average person is going to be of your own career to some degree. Um, right. I want to ask you something about the, you know, it, Bobsley's kind of a, I'll call it a, a manly sport, you know, in a sense. And, and I always wondered about your sense of, of as a woman in that, that sport and the, and the type of sport that it was, how you defined your ability to, in that sort of man's world, but created yourself and your own femininity and who you were. Cause I always thought that was really impressive about you as well, that you were, you you stepped up in the sense of being um you know competing in the way that you competed and do, doing the things that you did and at the same time always seemed to retain um a sense of who you were as a woman
1: yeah so i have to preface this by saying i'm fortunate because the women that came before me in the sport really created a pathway and a foundation for us to even have world cups and be in the olympic games so that's one thing i feel fortunate for because they had to grind it out like really and i think that's really uh a great goal to have is to leave the sport or the program or the job you're doing better off uh than when you started it and i think To some degree, however, you can make that positive impact. So, when I first started bobsleigh, it was after women debuted at the Olympics in 02 in Salt Lake City. And the circuits were not combined. Men and women's bobsleigh were totally separate. Women were only allowed to compete on a few of the tracks. The dangerous ones were just for the men. (laughs) And uh, my second year uh, competing, so it was 03 04, was the first year that they combined, nope, sorry, 04 05. So, this is 2005. Like, this is the season before the Torino Olympics, this is the first year that they joined the men and women's circuit. And holy man, was it a tumultuous transition for us and for the men. Uh, I mean, women's was kind of joke. The men we're telling us all the time we're going to crash and people are going to get hurt and we're making this training sessions longer and we're a distraction and it's just blah 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 so every time we'd go to these tracks it had these really bad reputations like there's one in uh italy cortina and like people are getting airlifted to the hospital for fractured vertebrae and stuff and um you do your first track walk along the side and you're looking at these big old concrete corners and there's no refrigeration on the short walls. It's just concrete. And, um, and you're like, oh man. And the men who have been doing it for years are telling you like, it's going to be tough. You guys are probably going to get hurt. You got to find a way to, you know, block it out. And I mean, it's good and bad. The men's bobsleigh program in Canada has had a ton of success and they have a very good reputation. Like Pierre Luters is one of the most successful athletes in Canadian history. And he was competing when I joined the team. And I remember my first world championships in 04, I watched him win gold. And I stood there, Kaylee Humphreys was my brakeman, And we stood there and we watched him. And I said, one day that's going to be us. And I always had this feeling like, I want people to look at the Canadian women's team the same way they look at the Canadian men's team, there's like a respect and almost a, like they're going to medal probably like it would be a shock if they didn't. And this was not the case um, before I, I started sliding. It just never happened. There was a few speckled medals here and there in a very weak women's field because it was developing. Right. And, uh, I'm one of these people that would rather do it and show than say anything about it because I feel like that's the best way to earn people's respect is to just show them. Like I was a good athlete. I trained in an NCAA school. I worked hard. I was a fast pusher. My breakmen were the same, like incredible capacity for work. And the women in bobsleigh, I think are tougher than the men. They have less athletes to help move the equipment around because the men have four-man teams and the women don't. So you have less people to move all the heavy equipment. We were brand new um, and had less experience and there was no development circuit really for the women. So we were crashing more often and the brakemen were sore and like we were putting them in hockey pads to make sure they could, you know, keep sliding. We didn't have the funding for like alternate brakemen to come on, on the road sometimes. And, oh man, our, like the women in our sport, like over the years have been pretty phenomenal to get it to the point where it is now. And they still have hurdles. They're trying to um, increase participation and maybe get four men, you know, in the Olympics for women one day. And it's still a a male dominated sport, but it's made huge progress. And I, I find even the case with coaching, I, you rarely see women coaches on the world cup. And I coached for a little while and tried the same thing to like, progress to a way where I can make a positive impact and coach and mentor other women. And um, I was told by uh, staff members at Bobsleigh Canada that I wasn't as equipped to coach uh, at a high level because I'm a woman and I didn't compete in the format. Um, you just have like nonstop hurdles and obstacles uh, to to overcome. So, you know, it's progress, mm-hmm. but it's it's always a, a struggle. And I feel proud of how far the sports come, and I feel excited about where it can go. There's some very talented, hardworking women still competing. And uh, say has been around since the very first Winter Olympic Games. Um, but it's very old-fashioned. I think it needs to evolve if it's going to stay relevant and and uh, keep growing.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you went through all this. You won that silver medal you went through a few more years of uh of of being involved in the sport and and still have some your fingers in it in certain ways but um you know i i I know you went through uh loss with jesse and determining to become a mom and and finally you guys decided to do that and how has that changed you
1: yeah the last year has been pretty crazy so we made a decision to you know i'm getting closer to 40 and or decided to, to, to try start a family while Jesse still had plans to compete. And, uh, um, we ended up having our daughter in, in May of 2017. So right before Jesse starts training for his last Olympic games. And, uh, I, I've, I've always been able to cope pretty well with stress, with obstacles, with, you know, things going on in my life. And I found being a new mom, and having my, you know, significant other in the throngs of an Olympic season was uh, was often more than I was equipped to manage. I have to say, uh, I think you don't know until you do it, like anything, right? It's like your first Olympics—you don't know what to expect until you've gone through it. Um, I I thought I'd be able to, you know, do the CBC commentary and have Jesse away and, you know, be a new mom. And oh man, it was hard. <laughs> Um, being a a parent i think uh teaches you a lot about yourself like people always talk about patience and love and understanding and communication and everything you do now you're thinking like oh she's watching so like how jesse and i communicate and the decisions that we make and it's all just like you have somebody that's relying on you that's learning from everything that you do and uh I think um, it's a wonderful, I feel so lucky every day to be Florence's mom and Jesse's the most amazing dad and I think it's neat also to see your your partner become a parent too because um, you just, you don't know what to expect and uh, it's been a really lovely but extremely challenging
0: experience. I think er, every parent says the same thing. I don't think there's ideal circumstances for these things. Did yeah. you, did you guys bring Flo? You got brought Flo over to the Olympics eh, and stuff. That must've yeah,
1: been Well, me. Jesse obviously meant a lot to him. He has memories of when he was little uh, being in the locker room with his dad, Neil, when he was playing for the Edmonton Eskimos and um, sort of having, you know, also these like pictures and stories to go along with it and, Uh, it's pretty cool to say when you, you know, you get a bit older that you went to watch your mom or dad compete at the Olympics. It's pretty neat. So I think even before we had her, we sort of daydreamed about that. And, um, you know, fortunately she came along in, in, in timely in a fashion that we could take her, but I was working for CBC doing all the broadcasting for sliding. So my mom came with us to take care of Florence. And that also was extremely challenging because of the hours of work. And, you know, it wasn't an easy Olympics for Jesse by any means. And, and we've got a little nine month old baby, you know, in, in Korea with us too. And yeah, she's amazing. She's super easy going and a great sleeper, but, uh, yeah, it was tough. And I got back from that. I mean, being a new parent is very emotional. Like you have all these hormones and you're tired. And I don't know, I, I'm proud. I was proud to have not been like a crier. You know, I'm tough. I never cry. I <laughs> became a mom and I literally cried all the time, just crying for no reason. And <laughs> I got back from the a bits. And I think the stress of supporting Jesse through really tough, um, some tough weeks and then also having this baby that i you know was alone a lot with all winter which is a blessing and uh very ch- difficult uh i just crashed it took me probably 2 months after after the olympics until i felt normal again <laughs> mm.
0: yeah it is it's not, it's a challenge for all women are, are challenged by motherhood, especially, you know, when you when you have career uh, and other elements that are folded into that. And, and, you know, it's not an easy journey for you guys to go through, for sure. I don't think it's any walk in the park for any parent, but uh, for women, especially as moms, you guys go through a lot of stuff. Um, becoming moms for sure and you'll go through lots still in the future but uh how do you 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 know sort of transcend your athletic career and sort of take the things that you learn and and maybe give them or um connect them to people who are going through the process that you went through do you you spend time with young athletes much now or have the opportunity to sort of mentor uh, in a way
1: i actually sort of fell into a mentoring role and I really I really enjoy it. I take a lot of joy from it. And I think it's I I think I would like to say I'm a pretty self-reflective person and I was fortunate enough to be encouraged to be like that from great people I worked with. I, a mental performance coach that you know really well, Richard Monet. And, um, even like, you know, the team of practitioners I worked with, you know, I was always thinking about how can I be a better athlete? How can I be a better pilot? How can I be a better teammate and how can I think outside the box and push the limit and also try to keep control of, of my ability to be successful? Because in amateur sport, due to funding constraints and all kinds of things, your destiny is a little bit in the hands of your national sport organization and, I, after being fourth at the Olympics in Turin, I really needed to take some of the control back, and so I had to deviate pretty far outside the normal path, and uh, create all kinds of, you know, ripples and waves in doing so, and then brave the storm I created somehow. And I learned a lot from that, and I think there's something really valuable uh, to share with other athletes. And I had some really hard moments, like the year of the Vancouver 2010 Games was one of them, and somehow managed to come out of that with a, a medal too and learned a lot about uh confidence and your capacity to you know overcome i think so I have done some mentoring through, uh, you know, the B210 athletes and through the COC. I've been mission team in the athlete village for uh, uh, summer games in Rio. And I helped run a program uh, called the Olympic Familiarization Initiative with the Canadian Olympic Committee, where we took a bunch of young, uh, never been to the Olympics, athletes london and helped them get familiar with what the olympics looks like and and shared a lot of valuable lessons and and even in bobsleigh i I coached a bit in whistler and uh i I spent a lot of time trying to help uh you know the pilot justin Cripps, who uh, is a good friend of mine and has been a teammate of mine for a long time and uh worked with him a lot too trying to do what what we did years ago is like think outside the box and take control over your ability to be your best when the time comes. And, you know, he wound up with a a gold medal in in Korea, which I I feel really proud of how far he grew as an athlete. And I feel happy I was able to provide him with some advice and some insight, I think, that helped to make good decisions and and find the things he needed to be successful. And I think I'll probably always stay involved to some degree, um, helping especially pilots and sliding athletes it's a good fit and uh when you're young and you just don't know how to navigate all of it you know breaking and equipment and team dynamics and politics and everything else so
0: if you um met Helen Upperton 21 years old or sort of beginning of your bobsleigh career whatever age that was what would you say to her
1: think probably you're you're better than you think you are <laughs> I always had a hard time believing I deserved to win the Olympic medal I just always saw myself as kind of an average person and I think if I would have had a little bit more belief I probably would have had uh, a medal in Torino we were pretty close um and I think uh something about enjoying the journey more than just focusing on like the next hurdle or the next uh, goal or next achievement. I don't think sometimes we take enough time in life to really appreciate what we've done and accomplished. And when you retire from sport, I hear this from so many athletes. They look back and say like, man, being an athlete was so easy and so fun. And it's not easy. And there are times where it's not fun either, but when you, uh, you know, go into the corporate world and then you have a family and you're juggling like multiple schedules and you think you were busy before you weren't, you think things were tough before it was tough, but life just changes. And I think I, I wish I had, uh, I had a lot of fun over the years, but I also took things too seriously sometimes. So,
0: yeah i often say we should all have to be parents for a month uh, when we're like 17 to really have an understanding <laughs> of what it is that we're you know how good our life is before we have children and stuff and how much time free time we have etc but it's always interesting um last question when you um, perish from this earth which hopefully is not for a very long time but it will happen at some point how, how do you hope people um remember you
1: Oh, I, I mean, I can't imagine anybody wants to be remembered other than like, just a really good person that, that helped other people and enriched other people's lives. You know, I hope I'm a good mom and a great sister, a a great partner to Jesse. And, um, in my sport career, I, I hope people see me as somebody who moved the sport forward for women and did it in a way that created a good environment for other people. And, uh, left a good you know legacy behind to some extent just like the women that came before
0: me awesome perfect way to end it wasn't my best sound one but that's life sometimes shit happens as they say but we got lots lots of good gems out of it It was great to talk to you and um, maybe when i'm out in calgary and we're going to come and teach a course in november so when i'm out there maybe we'll do one face to face and make it a little easier on ourselves as well well, that'd be great i'd love that Thank you, Helen, for taking the time. Thanks, Scotty. Have a good day.
1: You too. Bye. Bye.